and I was the one doing the marketing. I was the one doing the staff meetings. I was the one, um, you know, managing staff. If there was an issue or a concern, I was the one processing like, you know, time off requests and stuff like that. Um, so it wasn't a huge change. I mean, obviously my dad was a presence in the clinic and he was one of those guys that's really well liked by his clients. I mean, just my dad's clients would come back for 20 visits just to talk to him. Yeah. Uh, regardless of whether, you know, he had the most advanced skills or they were even getting better, they would just keep coming back. So keep saying so that it, presence, keep saying it. Yeah. People don't buy PT. They do not buy they PT. Don't. And I, I obviously I've been to your clinic and I know why it's successful. This is the Paul Goff audio experience business lessons for physical therapists. My name is Paul Goff. Former professional soccer physical therapist turned successful business owner and best-selling author from the UK. Each week, we answer your questions and bring you an inspiring story or person from the global physical therapy community. This show is dedicated to sharing with you everything you need to know to become hugely successful in private practice. Thanks for joining me today. Now let the class begin. So here we go again. Let's do another episode of the uh, CEO series podcast. Uh, thank you for everybody who's gotten in touch over the last few days. Um, this series seems to be the one that strikes the card. It appears that uh, getting to that CEO level is the you know the ultimate ambition of everybody who starts a business. It's how do we get from starting a business to having to treat patients for 50 hours a week all the way to the boardroom level where you get to make the decisions uh, you get to leverage the team around you you get to really make a company tick and grow it at the boardroom level where you get to do um, less if you like of the doing and more of the big picture more of the thinking uh, and more of the, uh, the the real number one thing that will separate you and your business which is hiring the right people and getting the best out of them so ceo series uh we're just a day away from our big event it's happening in Orlando. Um, I'm going to head over there later today. I'm excited to get there and um, get the stage set, if you like, for our uh, annual event. It happens every year in November here in Orlando. Um, for the very first time, we have our ultimate, ultimate, our UCEO competition uh, take place. Nine top businesses on the stage tomorrow, all vying for the chance to be crowned the number one CEO of the Polgoff uh, 150 plus mastermind collection, uh, as well as um, a chance to win a $10,000 prize uh, that involves a trip, uh, all expenses paid trip over to see uh, Queen Elizabeth, uh, Big Ben and a few other well-known um, places uh, back there in the United Kingdom. Um, we're hoping that by then the uh, complete shit show of a um, process they call Brexit is all taken care of. There are no um, protests in or around uh, spoiling the uh, wonderful scenery and ambience of, uh, of Parliament, uh, Buckingham Palace and uh, all of the amazing sights of Britain that uh, I'm excited to go back and see uh, myself with uh, me being the personal um, chaperone and tour guide of the ultimate CEO winner. So we're getting ready for that. Uh, big, a uh, lot of fun this weekend. It's a Caribbean themed event. So all of our members are coming in there. Uh, Caribbean style uh clothing for the after party we've got a caribbean themed band we've got dj on uh we've got our limbo dancing uh competition gonna go on we'll have a prize for that uh this afternoon every friday before our events we have our annual uh sorry we have our um uh, every event competition which is uh, for our golfers I think today there's about 22 of the, the, the masterminders all playing golf today somewhere in Orlando on Disney property. I think they call it the Hackers Club. 
the Hackers Club, and we have an award um, for the Ultimate Hacker as well uh, this weekend. So look, we have a lot of fun in the Mastermind. Uh, it's a wonderful community. We're all um, dedicated to helping each other out and sharing insights, just getting to that next level in your business that is much easier to do when uh, you're around very smart minds. Uh, it's getting bigger. Every time I, I talk to you about it, there's more new members coming on board every uh, every week from all parts of the world, uh, from all across America, from Canada, from Britain, from Ireland, Scotland, uh, from Brunei, from Denmark. Um, we've got people um, listening to this podcast to ultimately in the end make their way to the mastermind um, so hopefully um, we'll get to see you at one of these events um, in the not too distant future if you are serious about business um, I don't think you will find more uh, a more serious mastermind dedicated to helping you grow a real walk and talk in business and by that I mean that you're not the person uh, responsible for everything um, and your primary job becomes hiring the people uh, and building a team uh, to do all of that for you. Big mindset shift. And that brings me to the next guy, Luke Gordon of Spokane in uh, Washington State. Luke is the epitome of everything that we are about in this community. Uh, he is the owner of a seven-figure business and treats now a grand total of zero uh, patients at his uh, practice. Luke's a great guy. He's a lot of fun. You're going to love this podcast. Um, loves marketing. Uh, loves to learn and, and just wants to kind of market his business. I think we're kindred spirits. He's a big Dan Kennedy fan. Uh, and I think that's what initially attracted him to me was that uh, he saw in me very similar things that he'd studied from Dan Kennedy. And I think I was maybe one of the first to come along and, and kind of um, put the pieces together for him to uh, bring a direct marketing system to his clinic. And uh, we've been uh, doing the marketing for Luke's clinic now for oh, over three and a half years. He's one of our earlier clients that we've um, had the privilege of working with and watching him grow past the seven-figure barrier from 25 visits, a w uh, 25 hours a week as a PT to zero hours a week as a PT. So uh, Luke's Luke's got a lot to share with you. He uh, manages a lot of staff now. Uh, big business. Uh, wonderful insights into you know his his uh, what he wants from his business and how he's going to get it. Uh, he's also on the stage this weekend at uh, the Ultimate CEO competition. So. In this one, I'm interviewing Luke. He's a seven-figure business owner uh, that is at the heartbeat of a beautiful town called Spokane. I was very privileged to head over and spend some time with Luke and uh, meet his father and meet his wife and his children. And uh, he invited me in for uh, dinner at his house when I went over there. It's a beautiful uh, little town uh, that I'm uh, undoubtedly going to take my own kids to uh, in the not-too-distant future and spend some time over there. Maybe just get a little lake house in Spokane. It's a uh, nice part of the world and like I said I've had the privilege of working with Luke and his clinic for over three years and in that time I've watched his traditional clinic uh, break away from the traditional methods of relying upon doctors to get uh, a more modern direct marketing approach that means Gordon PT acquires the majority of its own patients through their own marketing efforts. Uh, Luke shares with you lots of lessons learned about escaping the doctor's referrals trap and the doctor's luncheon's uh, headache, how he leverages something called omnipresence in his town, the challenges he's faced since stepping back from patient care completely and how he made the decision to um, spend a little more on marketing that allowed him to bring in an extra $20,000 per month. I remember the conversation well uh, when we realized just how much opportunity that Luke had in his business. Uh, given that he was already paying his PTs, uh, their capacity uh, wasn't anywhere close to where it should be. I think it was around about 65%. And when we ran the numbers, uh, we realized that Luke had the uh, ability to add $20,000 a month to his business uh, without actually um, adding any more expense. Um, we talk about employees and how employee problems are really your problems 
lessons learned on not tracking numbers and how to recognize when it's time to grow past where you are now. It's going to be a wonderful episode, seven-figure business owner that doesn't treat patients. Uh, I think uh, on average, I think it's something like 250 to 300 visits every single week going through his business. So uh, a lot of moving parts in Luke's business and he's going to share with you a lot of uh, a lot of wisdom and a lot of insight into how he uh, manages all of that. So uh, let me hand you over to Luke. Enjoy the show and uh, we'll be back after the weekend. We uh, will maybe get one or two little segments out from the Ultimate CEO competition uh, this weekend. If you are coming into Orlando, uh, in the next few hours, I will see you at the bar uh, at six o'clock uh, tonight. Enjoy the show in the meantime. All right, so welcome to uh, the episode. Uh, very, very excited to have with me somebody who I've known now for uh, probably closing in on four years. And I uh, was very lucky to head over to uh, a beautiful part of the world that I would never ever have got to uh, see over in Spokane, uh, in Washington, had I not met this guy, uh, Luke Gordon, who uh, is just doing incredible things in his business. And I'm excited to bring him to the interview with uh, you today to share his insights into what it's took uh, to get to the true CEO leadership level uh, of a very, very successful practice. Uh, Luke, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me for the show. My pleasure. Excited for this. You've got some great uh, lessons and, and great experiences to share with us, um, which I'm sure people are going to love. So tell us, first of all, about your business and how you got started. Okay, so my business is um, basically an insurance-based practice, so a little different than all the people in the group talking about their cash pay kind of startups. So 12 years ago, when I graduated from PT school, joined the business with my dad. So he already had a real well-established clinic um, here where I live. And so I just started up with him. And back then, I think the name of the game for us was just growth. You know, everything was growth. We were in an insurance model, never really gave a second thought to, <clears throat> to um, you know, cash or anything out of network or anything like that. It just wasn't really what we were interested in. And, and being where we are, you know, we're in Spokane, Washington, which we're about four and a half hours from Seattle. And uh, mindset-wise, we're, we're kind of behind the times. So that stuff is just now kind of popping up in my area, very, very minuscule, like a cash pay PT, for instance. Like I could tell you of like two in the entire city and there's like 600,000 people here. I, I could tell you a, a better story uh, around it um, or just as good. I went, as you know, I did a talk for the Washington State private practice um, a few years back. Was it now two years ago? Where did I go? Shilan? Sh- Shilan? You always joke with me about- I was gonna quiz you on that. Yeah, Shilan, yeah. Sh- Shilan, I got it right. I was very close. <laughs> so I went to Shilan and did this talk. And, and again, I've been so privileged to see some beautiful parts of the world I never would have uh, gotten to had it not been for this this role I've got now. But I remember doing this talk and it was all going well for around about an hour. And I was speaking on the concept of how important it was now to you know your marketing message and to follow up and speak to patients differently because a lot of people were moving towards cash pay and out of network type businesses, right? And after about an hour, this guy goes, um, can I just ask, he literally stops me mid-sentence. Bearing in mind, there's like 168, 180 people in the room. Whatever. He says, can I just ask you a question? What, what do you mean when you when you say um, ca- cash pay? Like w- everybody uses insurance. And I, I went, you know, like people actually pay cash out of pocket and, and like get physical therapy because they don't want to use insurance. And he just looked at me as though I was speaking French, right? He, he literally looked. You know, when somebody looks for approval around the room as if to say, like, what is this guy speaking about? 
And for a second, I honestly thought, have I come to a state where it's illegal to charge cash pay? I remember thinking, have I sat here and I'm going to spend my whole day preaching the value of out-of-pocket you know, kind of payment and doubling your rates and all this type of thing, and I'm in a place that they're not even allowed to do it? And eventually, one guy chirped up and went, I'm a cash pay business. I'm doing it. And I, honest to God, the relief on my face was like, oh, thankfully. But your point is so true in that they, I got the overwhelming impression that people hadn't even considered cash pay or out of network pay physical therapy in Washington at this point two years ago. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of those folks are from the west side of the state, which is like Seattle. So usually, yeah, yeah. usually we're like five or 10 years behind Seattle. And apparently wow. Seattle's behind you know, maybe California and some of the East coast people, but, um, yeah. So when I came into the business, that obviously wasn't our model and wasn't even on my radar. Like I'd never even heard of that. And, you know, so the, the whole idea was just growth and you have a favorite saying of mine that is, um, you know, growth is vanity, profit is sanity and cash is King. Yeah. And I knew that, you know, years ago, and then I had to actually experience it, which I guess I'll get to that at some point in my journey here. Um, but you know, life was simple because all you're saying is, gosh, if we just had some more new patients, this would be great. And, and then do some more visits. And, um, that's all we did. We didn't look at like, well, was the insurance company paying us or, you know, were our clients sticking around? So we kind of whittled away at some of that stuff. And I think what I was looking for was marketing. You know, that's all I wanted. Uh, marketing was my most immediate concern. And as I know now, you know, when you solve the marketing uh, problem or you get that part of the equation dialed in, then you get to move on to other problems. But I don't think I appreciated that back then. I, th- I thought if I could just solve marketing, uh, you know, everything would be okay. Common common theme among businesses. And it's true. The, the first problem you usually have to solve is that predictable supply of patients. And I'm never questioning that businesses do need the patients. What we always have to... Um, factor in is that is it really i do need an extra 20 patients or do i just need an extra 10 because what's happening is the 10 that i'm bringing in are dropping off they're not being utilized they're not having the 15 sessions i remember that day i sat with you in your office where we had some time together and we started to consider pt utilization rate and what was the average session and then we were starting to break it down per therapist and it was enlightening i could see your eyes you were like holy shit i'd, I'd kind of i knew i needed to do all of this stuff almost but it's like it, it had never been sort of rammed down your throat figuratively that that was the next step in the in the evolution of the business not just more and more new patients definitely yeah i mean that's pretty clear in my mind too i think that was was that three years ago in yeah it'll have been three years ago in where are we are it'll been three years ago in november that i was there okay yeah it was yeah i mean everything's been real eye-opening along the, the path but again four or five years ago when i first came across you and started working with you that's all i that's all i wanted was marketing and and then, you know, later on, you start looking at, like you said, utilization, um, you know, since I'm insurance based, you, you still look at like how much your average reimbursement is per visit and what can you do to optimize that. And it's really eye opening when you see it. And then, uh, you know, it's great. It's exciting. But then if you're not careful, you, you look back over like the previous five years <laughs> and you're like, holy shit. I mean, I just I just lost myself 100 grand, not lost it. I mean, you're going to get it going forward. But, um, you know, if you could have run across the same ideas, like tracking some of those KPIs years ago, um, yeah. was it Dean who was joking about, you know, how you're going to buy him his next house just off of this one metric or God, it somebody follow up? Yeah, it was the um, yeah, it was Dean, the house in Charleston, wasn't it? It was yeah. my original sort of joke to Dean was 
because Dean never had a follow-up system. So he was not tracking anything to do with drop-offs or cancels. And by the time we looked at it and plugged it in his business, my quote to Dean was, um, even if we get a third of these people to stay or come back, what would that have been worth to your business in the last uh, five years? And he, and he stopped for like five seconds and just literally went, I'd have paid the house off in Charleston. Like it, it would have been that much money to him uh, in his business by just tracking that one additional metric, which like you say, most people come to us looking for patients. And, and again, you know, a lot of people do need new patients, but not at the expense of um, taking your eye off the ball of the other two or three important metrics as you as you look to grow your business. Yeah, it's interesting. And then, you know, I would talk to Dean and I'm fairly young. I mean, compared to some people, um, that's all obviously perspective, but I'm 36 right now. And he's like, well, at least you're finding out now, you know, <laughs> he's finding out when he's, I don't know how old Dean is, 50, probably like 42, right, Dean? Um, yeah, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but it, it was good perspective. But even, even at that stage, I was like, wow, if I had known this five years ago, I mean, there's still definitely a lot of things I can do even underneath the insurance umbrella, like to maximize my therapist productivity and utilization. And I spend more time like maximizing what units we bill and stuff like that. Whereas you'd never have to consider that in a cash paid practice. Yeah. But it's still just, again, knowing which, um, I mean, you call them levers in our CEO meetings. What's the one or two levers you can pull that will have the most impact on your business, you know, without too much effort. Yeah. And um, I, I definitely have those within the insurance world. It's just not quite the same, you know, as in the cash world. Yeah, I think, again, that's the skill of the business owner is, as we look to optimize uh, the business owners. You know, when, we, when we're sitting together in CEO, that's really what it's about is you've got a lot of noise. You've got a lot of distraction. You've got a lot of things that you could be working on. What I always try to get the business owner to think about is what's just the if I'm going to give my effort, if I'm going to give my attention, if I'm going to put my energy towards something. What's the one that I'm going to get the best bang for my buck from? So what's the lever that figuratively, if I pull that lever, returns cash at the other end? And, and it will nearly always be something to do with fixed drop-offs, fixed lead conversion, fix the patient visit average, fix the upsell. There's just one thing that if you just find it every week or every month that you focus in on that has a massive difference to your um, to your business. So tell us, um, so that's that's where you got started. Can you talk to us about, obviously, um, I think a few people who have got family businesses are just dealing with the evolution of that company then. So how did it grow with your, your you know, your father, obviously your dad's gone from the business now. Like what happened? How did that transition take place? How did the staff react to it? How did your father react? Just tell us a little bit about that. I think people will find it interesting how you've navigated from you kind of getting involved with your father to now being at the you know the head of the ship. Yeah, and so um, my dad retired last September, so we just came up on a year. So he's been retired for a year. Um, yep. So you know he's gone, but he's not he's not dead or anything. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's very much alive and happy. Um, yeah. But you know it's. Uh, I don't know how many folks listening like work with family, but man, it has its challenges. Obviously there's some positives to working with family in terms of, you know, people uh, really caring about you and, and wanting the best for you. But um, yeah, lots of challenges, the, you know, the 11 years that we worked together. And I, and I think it's just, you know, he was on the tail end of his career and I'm on the, you know, the front of my career and, you know, I'm looking at new and exciting ideas and he's trying to slow down the, you know, the expenses and stuff like that. So I found that, you know, working with my dad, it was just really slow to get things done. Um, whereas now I can pretty much make decisions fairly quickly and I can just do them, um, you know, as long as I'm confident they'll work. But, you know, the other thing that I think is valuable that I've heard you say several times is that sometimes you just want to spend five, $600, whatever you can burn and just see if something works without having to justify it to somebody else. 
and, you know, taking weeks and weeks to justify it, which at, at my point in the game, like we're, we're fairly high volume. So we do about, you know, 230 to 250 visits in a week and there's seven therapists. And so, you know, revenue wise, like I, I can burn, you know, I can, I can fiddle with 500 or a thousand dollars and it's not going to kill me. Yeah. Now I know not everyone's in that boat. So obviously you have to know, you know, what you're willing to lose. It's kind of like, you know, going to the casino, just bring which money you, you don't mind losing. But it's nice for me just to be able to do that. Say, okay, well, I'm going to try this. You know, I don't need to, I don't need to justify it to anybody. I can just make some decisions. So, so that's been nice. Um, and I can think, we talk about that. Can we talk yeah. about that? And we'll, we'll move on. I think that's an interesting point for the person listening. Cause it, it's, it's, you made a valid point. You're at 250 visits a week. It's big business, you know, a huge revenue turnover now going through that company. Now it's easy for you to say, um, I can, I can, you know, burn through $500 or a thousand dollars to find out what I want. But what's important is the principle is the same that ultimately as a business owner, we always have to be prepared to do that. Right. The, the consequences are still painful for a business owner. Um, whether they're earning a seven figure salary or it's a seven figure revenue business or whether it's a 50 grand a year business, what the principle is that Luke's talking about there is something that should not be overlooked for any business owner. And what I'm trying to explain is through the context of lots of times, especially when it comes to marketing, clinic owners need so much certainty before they'll do anything that it's that certainty which stifles them. It's that I must get something back from this $500. And for many times, I've realized that for a lot of clinic owners, it's not actually about losing the $500. It's actually the biggest problem is I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to get this wrong. And I don't want to feel stupid for spending $500 on Google ads that didn't work. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm not... Um, I'm not so much convinced anymore that it's actually about losing the $500 as it is. I'll feel shitty if I get this wrong. And I don't like that. I've built a business or I'm very clever as a PT. I get a lot of things right in my, you know, my practice as a practitioner, but I don't like the vulnerability of having to dabble or experiment with marketing. So I'll often find that PTs hide behind not wanting to spend money on marketing because they love to be right. And as you know, with marketing, you can't always be right. You almost have to start marketing to find out what is right and what your audience wants. So I think it's a good point you've raised there. And for the person listening, a big thing to understand is that, that if you want to grow, you will have to take risks. You will have to calculate to, you know, take your calculated risks, but don't risk being, uh, don't, don't worry about being right all the time in favor of spending $500 to find out something that might not work. Even if it doesn't work, at least you'll know, and then you're closer to finding out the newspaper ad that does work or the Google ad that does work or the Facebook ad that does work. And it's that small uh, grow, small commitment, if you like, to marketing and experimenting that ultimately gets you closer to where you do know your ads work, your, you know, your Facebook ads and so on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, going back to your visit here with, with me and my dad at that point three years ago, I mean, I think I was one of the first ones that, was really um, into the idea of omnipresence with marketing. And I remember you explaining it to my dad and I at the restaurant. Do you remember that? Very, very well. It was yeah. Good, uh, yeah. Tell yeah. The story, yeah. And it was just so fascinating because now, I mean, again, if you take that $500 we're talking about, um, you could do something with a pretty direct effect. You know, you could send out a postcard to 500 people that are past clients. And actually for 500 bucks, you could send out a thousand of them probably. Um, and you might get two or three, people the next week. And so that's, that always feels good, I think, as a business owner, because there's the direct ROI. And, 
you know, just like you, I've been listening to Dan Kennedy and, and those guys for a long time. Um, before actually I even met you, I was listening to Dan Kennedy and those guys. And, and they always made it seem like it was so obvious. Like, well, everything you do is going to have a direct ROI. You just have to measure it. And, you know, if you run this or you run that or you run this, you're going to have a direct ROI. And it should be two to one, but it might be 10 to one. And that's great. But really, it's, it's, a, it's an antiquated model or it's an antiquated way of thinking because there really isn't that direct of an ROI if you piece out your marketing plan. Now, yeah. and so the thing you were talking to us about is like, first of all, the idea of omnipresence, that people are going to have multiple touch points before they make a decision. And I'll let you tell that part in just a minute, because um, that was a fun story when we were sitting in the restaurant. Dad, but, then, yeah. but, but then the other part, too, is saying you do want to measure your ROI, but you want to measure it based on your entire marketing plan. And that's where I was really struggling that weekend, I think, was like, okay, I don't, well, I don't have a plan. You know, I don't have a six-month or a 12-month plan. And for most of us, it takes a plan and it takes time to see the fruits or like a real nice ROI from an entire plan. Yeah. So the omnipresence, we'll, we'll talk about both of a, of a plan. I'll write that down and we'll come back to it. Um, I remember being with your father. We, we were in that restaurant and I was trying to explain how it all worked, that somebody would have to see you one place and then they could see you somewhere else. And it was because of the... This, you know, you, you'll assume it was the second reason that uh, they called you. For example, they might have seen you on Google AdWords and they called you from the Google ads. But the decision to start to want to work with you came from the newspaper ads. And literally, um, we were reading a newspaper or there was one on the on the table, maybe that your father had brought. And he um, he picked it up and he and he showed me an ad, I believe, as the story unfolds. He showed me an ad for some company, one of the big hospitals or somebody around the area that was selling something, you know, some injection therapy or some treatment or something that was going on in your area that could be targeting your patients. And then I Googled back pain in Spokane. And then this company came up again. This company came up, Google ads, number one. So I was able to, in that five seconds, show your dad the whole concept of omnipresence, how we were talking about this uh, company in the newspaper and starting to understand what they did. And then when we went to Google and we searched for back pain, this company came up number one on Google. We clicked through and we got on their website. Now, at that point as well, we could have been tracked in remarketing on Facebook or on Google, and we could have had three or four different types of media happening to me, all working at the same time. Now, if I called the clinic to book an appointment for that therapy that they were uh, selling, Who's to know which one of those things actually made the decision for me to call you? Was it the newspaper which sparked my interest? Was it the Google that confirmed my interest, having read about you in the newspaper? Or would it have been the remarketing which followed me for a few days and forced me to give you a call? Remarketing, uh, sorry, omnipresence and multi-touch points, completely um, inevident that day with your, with your dad. Yeah. And I think he was even one step further. He's like, Oh yeah. And I saw these guys over here That's and I right. saw them over there. And you're like, exactly. Right. And you're like, yeah. what exactly what? That's what they're doing to you. You saw them in the newspaper, you saw them online, you saw them at some event, you know? And then like you said, if you, if you pull the trigger and you become a client of theirs and they say, well, how'd you hear about us? You say, well, I Googled you, you know? And then you're, you know, you're attributing your Google ad to the success of getting that new client when really it was the whole entire campaign. You know, so that was, that was a light bulb. I don't think I understood it that well until you pointed it out that day either. You know, I, I mean, I, I kind of understood the concept, but to see it in action, you know, with, with my dad sitting in front yeah. of us at lunch with a real example, like, oh my gosh, that's how it works, you know? And, and I don't read the newspaper. I don't really know, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to market to people like my dad, but, um, 
to see it like happening in real in real life yeah. is pretty cool. And I was like, well, oh, okay, that's how that works. This is it. The point is that for a lot of businesses listening to this, they'll make decisions based upon how they behave. And they'll say, well, nobody reads the newspapers. And, and really what they're saying is, I don't read the newspapers. Or uh, nobody clicks the first ad on Google. And what they're saying is, I don't click the first ad on Google. Or, or whatever. They'll often come out with a justification for their own marketing based upon what they believe they want. Or a classic in our world. I was teaching the Accelerate class today and, and warned a few people against it. That it's common when you see marketing messages about back pain and about loss of independence or you know, requesting free reports. It's common for a PT to say, who works for you, to say, nobody responds to that. I wouldn't respond to that. And I've long since said, well, I wouldn't expect you to respond to it because you don't currently have those fears or that problem. So right now, your judgment is out of context. It doesn't align with the person who is up all night worrying about back pain, who has for three months procrastinated over what to do, who has for six months worried about the fact that they may be living with lifelong knee pain. It's very difficult for us to, or we should never make decisions based upon um, how our perfect patients think and act in the context of what we think we would do. And that's a skill, I think, that many business owners, and it takes separation of ego as well, by the way, uh, which one of the things I love about you, you've got zero ego. It's just like, tell me what to do. We're going to do it. Like, however this needs to play out, this is going to get done. Like, it, do it doesn't matter really how I feel about it. It's just, is this the right decision? I understand it. Let's just get this, you know, let's just get this thing done into the um, the, the business. So tell me about this plan. And so you, you, you struggled for a plan. What happened when we started to speak about, you know, how this, this whole thing plays out? What did you do next? You realized you needed one. Where did you start? Yeah. And so, um, and the, reali the realization came too when you and I were sketching that out. Again, this was three years ago. So for those people listening who think I get things done miraculously quickly, I don't. Um, it does take time just like anyone. So don't feel too hard on yourself, but, uh, we were sketching it out and we're looking at PT utilization rate and my utilization rate was really low. So essentially yeah. I was, I was paying therapists, um, or I wasn't paying them, but either way, there was all this money sitting up there and you said, well, um, you know, I had like, let's say 50 open visits a week, which I think it was something high like that. Yeah. I said, well, yeah. and that represents, um, you know, 20,000, 25,000 a month, uh, in revenue. And you said, well, how much are you willing to spend to get that? And the interesting thing there is that, of course, I've already met my fixed expenses for the most part for the month, right? Um, yeah. So the, the only added expense to getting that extra revenue would be the marketing expense and then any necessary staff to cover anything else. So, you know, I pay the therapist a little bit more to see the patients or whatever. But most of that I was already paying. So you said, well, what are you willing to do? And then we said, okay, well, I'm willing to spend this much on Facebook. So I set a Facebook ad. We weren't really doing a lot with Google back then, so Google wasn't on the on the uh, table. But I was doing newsletters, and I was doing um, uh, um, obviously newspapers was my big one that I added, and yeah. just doing it more consistently. And then I had other things thrown in, like you're going to run a postcard here and there, and so that led to the plan. And um, you know, back then I think you said you know just know that it takes a while for a plan to actually work and. And now when you talk about it, I think you tell people six, eight, 12 months, which I think is pretty reasonable. Um, but that was just the start of it. And then, so, was, you know, again, that was more of a mindset shift for me as opposed to let's do this and see what happens. And then yeah, let's yeah. do that. And, and I will say too, uh, just as a little more historical background, we were in the same boat as every other PT in Spokane with trying to do a lot of doctor lunches and things like that. And, um, 
even before I met you, my vision was that we wouldn't rely on doctors for referrals. You know, we do a really good job getting referrals from our past patients. And then at some point, the other part of that equation was we'd get referrals on our own, you know, from the public. Yeah. So, so those were the two big, you know, foundational pieces. So I wasn't going out and doing, you know, doctor lunches or anything like that, unless there was a direct, like, personal connection with that doctor. Talk about, um, you briefly mentioned that, um, I think that will help people listening. Talk about your fixed expenses. Just explain that in context for somebody who might have thought, well, what the hell is that? Yeah, so we have a lot of fixed expenses. Um, uh, but you look at all your support staff, um, your overhead in terms of your rent and your supplies, and um, like our, our billing staff, things like that. And then you know, obviously your payroll, with a, with a business like mine, your payroll expenses are your biggest line item expense. Um, but again, there, there wasn't a lot of extra expense to, to see those 50 patients a week. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe a little bit of extra supplies. Do you have to buy more cleaning materials um, or, or whatever else you, you know, you do, but the only other added expense, or unless you're like at a threshold where you're going to have to add another admin to see that kind of volume, but we weren't, yeah. um, just a little extra expense to pay the therapist. And so again, if you said, well, you stand to gain 25, would you be willing to spend seven? you know, to get to 25. It's like, well, actually you'd probably be willing to spend 18 or 20 to get to 25. Yeah, I mean, sure. you could, you could just market the shit out of everything. You yeah. know, we could have, <laughs> could have been everywhere all the time. Yeah. Well, know? it's, it's, would you be willing to spend 20 to make 22? Like exactly. that, that, that's, you know, some, some people are literally living that way online and, and, you know, the way they market their business. Um, another way for, for the person listening to this to think about this is to, I remember the conversation that we had and I'll try and explain it um, hopefully better now than I probably did back then. But for many businesses, what they've got is these fixed expenses. So you've got your, you've got your PT cost, you've got your rent, you've got your rates, you've got your overheads. And let's say just for argument's sake that they come in at 20 grand a month, right? Or, or yes, let's just say 20 grand a month. What normally happens, what you find, I'd put it to the majority of the businesses listening to this, the predicament that they'll find themselves in is the organic stuff that they get, so the word of mouth, the passive referrals, the just friends and family, the past patients coming back, is usually, usually, by and large, on average, eight out of 10 times, enough to cover fixed costs. So the rent is just taken care of, basic salary for the owner is just taken care of, the uh, PT gets paid, the insurance gets paid, the you know machinery gets paid, the the interest on any loans or whatever gets paid. But there's not that much profit left for the business owner. And what he or she will have is much like what you had, potentially one or two underutilized staff. So we have a staff person operating at 70% and we have another staff PT operating at 70%. Therefore, we've got 60% productivity that we can grow into. And we've actually took the biggest risk by adding the PT, adding the rent, adding the rates, adding all of these things, which add up to $20,000. And all me and Luke did was sat there one day and looked at all this and said, Luke, would you be willing? We can see that the potential for that business, because currently 60% productivity is not being utilized from the PTs that you're paying collectively $150,000. You're already paying them. I'm basically saying, Luke, would you be willing to spend an extra $2,000, $2,500 maybe, with the potential of making twenty grand a month? Because that's the reality. For many businesses listening, 
their their passive referrals, their passive word of mouth, their passive doctors, just stuff that's coming in and trickling in anywhere, is probably just covering costs. One of the things I've tried to bring to the marketplace is the mindset of just spend a little bit of money, figure out Google, figure out Facebook, put some money towards newspaper ads, and utilize everything that you've got. So for some of the people listening to this podcast, they're probably a thousand or two thousand dollars a month away from, like you say, getting the best and the maximum out of everything that they've got to make sure that they maximize their profits. And that's how close many businesses are. If they choose to see it that way, that's how I see the results of direct marketing. If I stopped all marketing at my clinic, we'd cover bills, we'd cover expenses, we'd, we'd, we'd just trickle over. But for Paul to get the profit that makes the business worthwhile, it's the extra, let's say, £2,000 or $3,000 a month that we will spend on Google and newspapers, which gives me the extra eight, ten, however many thousands pounds a month in, in you know profit that I can use and distribute however way I want through my business. That's the type of mindset that I'm trying to get across to people that ultimately you've definitely got. So talk to us. What what happened next? How is the business going? You know, since those those days. So your 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 dad's moved on now, and you've got the um you know the business. You can make all your decisions. You don't have to ask anybody or have uh even discussions with people. Talk to us about some successes that you've had in the last twelve months. Could be profit. Could be hiring. It could be scale. It could be reduction in your hours. What what would you put down as successes? Sure, sure thing. And then one more quick thing before I do that, though, Paul, I want to say, even though <clears throat> it was super clear, you know, sitting down with you three years ago and mapping all that out, you know, spend 6000 to get twenty twenty five, um, it still took me a long time to actually get there to do it. Um, and I think the benefit that you have personally is that you have experience, you've seen it work, you know, it works, you know, that if it doesn't work, you can probably help someone fix it. But at the time, for me, there was still that element of fear. Oh, I don't want to lose $6,000 a month. Yeah. Um, and I've got a business partner who's also my dad. And I don't, I don't want to lose his money either. You know, um, and, I, and I don't know if I'm like a lot of the business owners. I'm not super attached to money. I mean, I know it's easy to say when you have money. Um, but, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't mind if I lost a little money just learning what did or didn't work, I guess was, was what I'm trying to say. So it still took me... I mean, probably a good six months to nine months to get the full marketing plan into effect. And obviously, if I had the um, if I had that level of confidence that it was going to work that well, I would have just jumped right in. But again, I think just to make people feel not so bad if it's taking them more time to yeah. to really, um, you know, embrace everything that we're talking about, I think that's pretty normal. But then at some point, you just have to take the leap, or you have to say, "Look, I saved up some money, and now's the time for me to try this out. I'm going to go all in." As opposed to some people saying, well, I'm just going to dabble here, dabble there. I mean, I, I would almost recommend people just stop and say, okay, we'll save some money then, you know, put some money in the bank and then just, yeah. and then just go all in, you know, either do it or don't. Because yeah. some of these things are so hard to predict. And, you know, you might have one, maybe Google is the missing piece to your equation and mine was newspapers, but you never know. Yeah. And really, again, if I could go back, I would have just done it all. Like, okay, we're doing it. Figure you know, I got some, I got some money in the bank. Um, I can afford to lose some of it. I don't think I'm going to, but. You know, let's do that and move forward. So, yeah, the majority of people listening will make more mistakes in hiring. They'll cost them more money. They just can't see it that way than they ever will from marketing. Does that make sense? In that, it seems people are quick to hire shoddy staff, right? Who they replace every three months or six months, and and the cost of that, which is hidden, and the and the frustration and the time investment in hiring crappy staff at will seems to be something that clinic owners are happy to do right they won't they won't come out and say that but obviously that is what happens to a lot they'll hire somebody who doesn't work out 
and then they'll hire somebody else who doesn't work out. Or worse, they'll stick with them for 12 to 18 months knowing full well that they should have fired them. That that decision there and that, that uh, choice that is being made by the business owner, I believe for most businesses is costing them significantly more than any loss in marketing that might be under the banner of an experiment. But because they can see the direct loss of $500 if a Facebook ad doesn't work and they can't feel the pain in terms of a direct loss of a staff person, they're much more likely to go down the rabbit hole of, of, of like hiring crappy staff than actually losing some money on marketing that could potentially, once you figure it out, be a hell of a lot more consistent for you and give you significantly less hassles than any staff person is, is my experience of it. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. And I mean, even if you were in my situation and said, well, I'd rather bank some money first, say, okay, well, let's turn to some of your internal things and see where you can get some more money. Because um, yeah. if, you, if your arrival percentage is down in the 80s, I mean, because I did this actually years and years ago, our arrival percentage was like 83%. I said, oh my God, like that's so much money left on the table. And we were doing half the business, less than half back then, but it was still a huge chunk of money. And, and I said, okay, well, let's work on that. So even if you're in that boat, you know, look for two or three levers in your business right now they don't cost you any money, you know, along the lines of improving some of your, you know, KPIs with arrival percentage and, and drop-offs and completed plan of cares and stuff like that. And you'll find the money you need for marketing. And then, you know, you can move forward a little more confidently. Yeah. So successes, tell me, profit, hiring, scale, reduction in hours. I know you're down to uh, almost, well, is it a flat zero these days that you're doing? Tell me what's going on. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I'm down to zero hours a week. People are like, what the hell are you doing? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're just hanging hanging around over there yeah. in that wine store. Where did you take me that that wine store that day? And we we did some work yeah. in, that, in that wine store. It was yeah, one of my favorite ever trips. Yeah, that place moved a block away. It's even nicer now. So Cl- yeah, so closer to you probably closer to yes. its number one customer. Yeah, it's dangerous. Yeah, um, but yeah. So um, you know, my my dad retired back about a year ago, and then that was the decision. I that was the point where I said, look, I really want to join the CEO group. Yeah. Um, because what I really want to do is I want to get out of the business. And at that point, I mean, I, I've been wanting to get out of the business for five years. I mean, I read, I read E-Myth back when my wife was pregnant with our daughter, who's now five. And I remember the moment I said, this is it, you know, just like they talk about in the book, like when, once you take that curtain back and you realize you don't want to be in the business, you know, you really can't put it back again. Yeah. Um, so it never got put back. It just got put on hold. And I, I felt like I was working towards it, but just, if I, I just wasn't quite getting there. So that's when I decided to join CEO last year when you first offered it. And then, you know, I came down to the first meeting in January and said, well, what I feel like I need is I need financial clarity because I need to know the numbers so that I feel comfortable getting out of the business. And I need to know what it's going to cost to have my replacement. I need to know yeah. where our profitability is at. And, um, and that's big. My big focus for this year is just, okay, you know, working more on my business skills, which, um, I'm pretty, I'm a lot more confident than I am than I was then. And I just hired my replacement. She's been with us for two months now. And um, the nice, I mean, it's just, it feels good to be able to do that and be confident that you're not just going to be blowing through the money that you, that you saved up in the first six or eight months of the year. So what was the lag? Talk us through. Obviously, I know, talk to the person listening um, about this, that ultimately the, um, the time that you made that decision in January from actually replacing yourself like talk us through that whole process yeah so i mean <laughs> it was funny because i went first in the ceo group because i was like you know i'm just going to get this done i don't want to get reamed 
um, which it wasn't that at all. But, you know, all of us were kind of nervous for that first meeting. And I thought I had this huge, massive problem that we were going to wrestle with. And I think between you and the other eight, nine people in the room, I mean, the biggest chunk of my problem was solved in like 10 minutes. You're like, okay, well, tell me this number. Tell me that number. Okay, what do you need? Okay, do you want to make more money if you get out? Or do you want to make less? Are you willing to stay, you know, break even? Because obviously you want to know that if you're going to get out of your business. I said, well, I don't need to make more. I'd I'd like to make the same, but I, I could probably make a tiny bit less. So... I have, I have the numbers right in front of me right now, actually. <laughs> and so he said, well, what's it cost for your replacement? He said, well, probably about 85000 Yeah. a year um, in terms of salary, taxes, benefits, paid time off, all that stuff. And then the interesting part of my equation was that my dad was now out of the equation as an owner. So he wasn't getting a salary or draws off off of profitability. Yeah. But I am, I am paying him because I, I bought out the business. So... The difference between what I was paying him for buying out the business and what we would have been paying him. So there was a big chunk of money sitting there already, like in my benefit. Um, and then we just work out a couple other numbers about, okay, well, you know, um, if you need another $50,000 or so, where are you going to get it? And at that point, I mean, there's there's options. Say, well, we can get it by, you know, increasing our product sales. Um, and the easiest thing for me, in my opinion, was we can get it by seeing more patients because at the time where I was easing out of patient care, I was only doing 25 hours a week anyways of patient care. And the other 15 was mostly marketing, um, some management, stuff like that. I said, well, I actually did this on the plane back from CEO. And I said, well, geez, um, you know, that extra 15 hours, trying to look for it here, was a huge chunk of money if I could fill it. So which takes you back to marketing, which is very much my comfort zone. I like marketing. I feel good about marketing <laughs> yeah. um, and I've had some success with it. And, and I basically said the difference between me and my fill-in therapist or not my fill-in, my replacement was she could do 20 more visits a week than I could. Yeah. And we have an arrival percentage of 93%. So I went conservative and I said, well, if, if 90% of those patients show up, that was 18 visits. Um, and if she works 48 weeks out of the year, which again was fairly conservative, and I knew my average reimbursement per visit, which was $92. I actually have a real number on a paper. Like yes, it was $80,000. Yeah. And I felt like that was conservative. And then I went even more conservative. And I said, well, what if, you know, something else went wrong? And it was still a real nice chunky number. And then yeah. I went with the real numbers. If I said, well, hey, here is our arrival percentage. Here is our average reimbursement. Here's what we could actually make. And so again, I was very comfortable with the, with the numbers in terms of just being able to make a decision based off of them. So having that clarity, ultimately, can we conclude? And having that plan gives you the confidence to execute the plan and therefore you're much more likely to get the result that you want from the plan. Exactly. Well, now it's like, okay. I mean, basically I said, well, if we're going to do 18 extra visits a week, those aren't just going to magically appear. Yeah. So what am I going to adjust on the marketing end or, and, or are there some holes in my systems, lead generation, lead follow-up, um, discovery visit to eval conversions. Is there a hole? Am I having more drop-offs than I know about, which, um, really takes us to cockpit and <laughs> I don't really want to talk about it, but we can, because I've been dragging my feet on it and, um, now, now I'm just getting it so going. So for, for context for everybody listening, Cockpit is a dashboard where we organize our clients' information uh, about their operational effectiveness of the business. So we can see everything that's going on 
from everything from arrival rate to cancel rate to leads and so on. We just organize it all in one location. We call it cockpit. Uh, figuratively, it's like a pilot flying a plane. Where we just put the dashboards in play and the dials for people to know whether or not the plane's going to land safely, i.e. the business is going to make the money that it wants. And um, a lot of businesses are reluctant at first to, to kind of prioritize it until they take the effort or make the effort to do so. And then they realize it's quite liberating actually knowing what's going on in the business and therefore where to direct your focus and attention next. So Luke, talk to us about your story with that. Yeah. So again, I mean, if you're looking to make, I mean, obviously an informed business decision, um, I always fall in love with marketing because I just like marketing. It's just something I like to do. Um, I feel like I'm good at it and it, and it's fun, but it really is only one part of the equation. If you look at, um, your marketing efforts, getting to your bottom line and affecting profitability, because there's so many steps along the way. And so you, you could say on a simplistic level that, well, if you want to, you want to do 18, 20 more visits a week, then up your marketing strategies, you know, do some more community events. Yeah. Maybe do, I'm a big fan of direct mail. So more postcards, um, write a book and promote it. Uh, customer appreciation day. I mean, there's a million and one marketing ideas, so no shortage there. And I think you brought it to my attention said, well, yeah, but, but what else is going on in the business right now? Especially at such a high volume. Yeah. So at a high volume like mine, if you don't know that you have an issue with conversion, converting people from a discovery visit to an eval, you know, like you just assume things are going pretty good. I mean, yeah. you've got a good staff. You train them on how to do discovery visits. I mean, it may have been two years ago, but they should still know all that stuff, right? Yes. Um, but you really don't know. I mean, let's not get too cliche, but you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Um, and Cockpit just really exposes that. So it's funny because Cockpit has been around for quite a while now. And, you know, you think that I'm one of these guys who's kind of on top of things and I'd be like an early adopter, but I am really late to the party. And, uh... <laughs> no, you're, you're, the, you're the rare, you're the rare business owner who loves marketing, right? You obviously have an affinity for it and to it. You were studying it with Dan Kennedy, you know, long before you met me. So you obviously love it. And, and again, what I'm going to try and expose to the person listening to this podcast is really to optimize the business, we have to optimize the person. And to do that, you have to be very critical of yourself. So I'm much like you, as in, I love marketing. I want to read Dan Kennedy stuff forever. Like I could just keep giving it to me and I'll read it and read it and read it. I devour it. It's like Harry reading Spider-Man, right? Give, give me Dan Kennedy or any kind of marketing stuff and I'll just Perry Marshall, whoever, I'll just go and read it. That means I'm diametrically opposed to ever wanting to face up to numbers and finance and arrival rates and all this stuff. Cause it's just too logical and I don't want to know. So you have to force yourself as your business grows, not just to do these things, but actually face up to what's going on that, yeah, you will go off and do anything to do with marketing, but that comes at the price of probably not wanting to know the finer details because marketers are creative. We are a big picture. We like the idea of motivation and words and stuff that just is exciting, right? The idea of looking at a spreadsheet and having to analyze cell C6 and E5 it just it just makes me sick violently at the prospect of it. <laughs> However, it'll only make me violently sick until I realize that I can't grow my business past where I want it to be and I'm working harder than I should have been or could have been probably for three or four years because I was obsessed with more patience and more marketing. And then we have to face up to the idea of, ah, actually what my job is as a CEO is to optimize all of the parts of the business not just score the goals figuratively 
in the marketing team by getting the phone to ring because that is not the best thing that I can do for the business now that I'm a CEO. It's to oversee the marketing team and bring somebody in to replace me, i.e. in my case, Amy. It's to bring somebody in in my team to replace me to do the operational side of it, i.e. Vicky. It's to bring somebody in to do the sales, to do the finance for me, but to oversee it at a level that requires that I at least understand it as to what we're doing so that I can pull people up, I can ask them questions, I can catch them out, I can uh, play devil's advocate occasionally to stuff that I don't like, but I'm not getting involved in it anymore at, at a granular level. And I think that is what's starting to happen to you as you evolve. You realize that your responsibilities change and therefore you will have to move into a direction, i.e. the stuff that you are diametrically opposed to, finance and potentially the detail of operations rather than the excitement of marketing and sales. It's the evolution of Luke we are watching. Yeah. And it's strange because then I, you know, I go to the mastermind meetings and stuff like that. And I run across these people who don't like marketing and I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> there you go. Marketing? Exactly. Yeah. This is the fun part. And I'll be next to people. Um, and they have like these beautiful spreadsheets and they know yeah. the numbers. And I'm like, what is that? Like, that just makes, like you said, I don't know if I'm quite near the point of vomiting, but I, I do want to go somewhere else. You know, <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? But, but the, what, what you have to, and I, I remember reading this in one of the um, Cassius Kings is you have to, you have to focus on how you're going to feel once you get, once you get the clarity, you know, because yeah. the act of getting the financial clarity still isn't that fun, yeah. you know, and I can talk myself into the fact that it's important because I know it's important, but it, it still doesn't feel good when you're doing it. So, um, you know, you, you focus on how it's going to feel when you say, well, look, I can, I can not work today and know that I can still access my cockpit or my financial dashboard. And I can still know what's going on within the business and I can still feel confident that everything's going okay. Like that's a feeling that I could get in what, you know, I yeah. could get used to and, and I can talk myself into that. Um, and so it does end up being rewarding. It's just, if you gave me my choice, like I would read a marketing book yes. you know, today. Um, and I kind of look at marketing books as a reward now. Yeah. It's like, well, if I'm caught up on my work and nothing really big needs to happen on my flight to CEO tomorrow, I'll order another marketing book just because I like to read it. I, I don't need to read it. It yeah. doesn't solve a problem for me. Um, but sometimes I just like to read for fun. It's Spider-Man. Yeah, exactly. It's my con. I don't play video games and I don't watch book. TV. Yeah. I'm kind of weird that way too. So it's like, um, you know, a marketing book might just be my version of fun. <laughs> so, <clears throat> okay. Yeah. We're definitely kindred uh, spirits. Uh, so challenges you've run into is you look to be less involved. So what, what did it expose? So you, you've had the dreaded situation or the, the, enviable situation that you are now not treating patients but you've now run into the dreaded situation where you've got so much time on your hands you just don't know what to do with it and you're seeing stuff before that is just making you like who taught you out to do that or who told you to do that what's going on challenges that you've run into now that you're literally not involved in patient care yeah so the biggest challenge i think is i don't have an excuse not to do cockpit yeah uh, and I don't have an excuse not to get infusion stuff going, which is a huge part of the business. Um, and then, like you said, I, I've mentioned this like on our last phone call about um, with our group call about how like um, you just start looking at stuff that there's these little problems in the business you didn't know were there, even though you've been in the business. So you should have been spotting them. But like a good example for me was talking about referrals and saying how you know we work our referrals very proactively. We're calling them when they come in. You know, uh, we're doing all this follow-up. And then I was talking to one of our admins and she's like, well, well, no, we don't. I was like, what? 
And she's like, well, no, we, we're no referral. I said, well, when a referral comes in off the fax, we, we call it like right away, right? No, we usually wait till the next day. And I was like, what? Like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, I've been here for 12 years. <laughs> and we call referrals the next day. So, of course, I get real irritated, which I, I curb that emotion pretty quickly. Um, but at first, I'm just like, you got to be fucking kidding me. Um, and then it's like, well, you know, Luke, you should have known better. Like, really? I mean, you're the business owner here. You're the quote unquote CEO and you don't even know how your staff handles referrals. You have no system, obviously, and you have no accountability, obviously, and you have no finance, you know, you have no metric you're tracking. (laughs) And so, um, as irritating and annoying as it is, it's, uh, once you can calm yourself down, it's always an opportunity to make an improvement and. And so that's been nice. I mean, to put a silver lining on it, it's, it's been nice to say, well, I can just sit down now with my three admins. I can go up to the front while they're working and just kind of sit with them and wait for a break, you know, and just say, hey, I wanted to ask you guys about this. What do you think? You know, and get more, get more input. Because um, they might actually have, they might actually have been thinking that this was wrong all along. You know, you can never assume that they're doing it because, you know, they're lazy or they don't value the business or, you know, they won't, they don't want me to take home extra money or whatever. Um, They may actually have been thinking, well, well, that's just how we've always done it. That's how I was trained. That's how she was trained before me and, you know, yada, yada. So it's been really nice um, overall being able to just talk more with people and get more input, which I'm a big believer, you know, that people want to be heard and, um, as much as I like the marketing stuff, I like soft skill type stuff too, like Stephen R. Covey and yeah. and Dale Carnegie. And I, I love all that stuff too. And like people do want to be heard. They do want to be valued and they want to have input. And even, even if you don't agree with them, I mean, they still, they still like the opportunity for them to, you know, to tell you something. So I've been really enjoying that. I think I just have to make sure I'm not doing that at the expense of, uh, you know, not doing cockpit or yes. something that needs to be done. So but I'm getting better at that too. That's kind of part of the evolution in the last month or so. It's it's all it is for any of us. It's just awareness, self-awareness, being critical with ourselves, having, as I call it, second voices in the conversations, which is, again, you know, a testament to you. You're very open to, to coaching and, and willing to jump on flights and come to events and um, figure out where you need to go to improve, which is not something that everybody is. Uh, hence why they stay, you know, they stay stuck. They stay reading the marketing books. And they can't understand why, despite all of this action of reading the marketing books or, you know, for the opposite, reading the finance books for the guy who loves finance. They keep reading finance books. They keep reading another book on numbers, another book on, or if it's uh, operations, keep, you know, reading books on systems. They can't understand why, despite all of their action, their business isn't growing. It's because they fell into a habit of doing the things that they're comfortable with. All growth is uncomfortable. That's that's the point. Uh, we're all here, you know, without waxing lyrical on it. Really, the purpose of what we are here for is for growth. That's it. You know, when all is said and done, we're here to grow. Uh, everything on the planet grows um, around us. And it's sad that many human beings and ultimately many business owners, they stop growing. They start a business, they work harder, they work harder and they work harder, but they're not really growing as people. They're just doing the same thing day in and day out. And much of what I think we need is people in our lives where we are having somebody with a second conversation it or somebody, uh, there's a second voice, uh, sorry, in the conversation that tells us, hey, Luke, it's about time to, to face up to this numbers thing and this staff um, recruitment thing and getting somebody in your business or a second eye in the business to be able to help you with these types of uh, things now that you've stepped back and been open and actually willing to, you know, willing to sort of listen to the advice that's prescribed. Um, talk to me about leadership. 
Or what's happening there? Now you've took over. So you're the boss. What's what's going on in that business? How have the staff reacted differently to you? What's the challenges? Obviously, they've had your, your dad in there for a long time. How uh, have you crossed that bridge? Very interested to hear that. Yeah, and you know, um, it's actually, it wasn't that big of a change, to be quite honest with you, because, you know, my dad's been here the whole time I've been here, obviously, but he really, I was basically managing the clinic for at least the last four or five years. So essentially, he would, he had already kind of transitioned to just the staff therapist, and I was the one doing the marketing, I was the one doing the staff meetings, I was the one, um, you know, managing staff if there was an issue or a concern, I was the one processing, like, you know, time off requests and stuff like that. Um, so it wasn't a huge change. I mean, obviously my dad was a presence in the clinic and he was one of those guys that's really well liked by his clients. I mean, just my dad's clients would come back for 20 visits just to talk to him, Yeah. Uh, regardless of whether, you know, he had the most advanced skills or they were even getting better. They would just keep coming back. So keep saying so that presence, it, keep saying it. Yeah. People don't buy PT. They do not buy they PT. Don't. And I, I obviously I've been to your clinic and I know why it's successful because it's the family, it's the cheers effect, literally the, the, the TV show. It's your, your place is cheers where everybody knows your name. You can tell everybody's comfortable. There's lots of fun. There's no egos. Everybody's having a, you know, a, a great time while they're in there and people in the end start looking for reasons to come back. They start looking for reasons over and above just ankle pain to come back to that business, which ultimately in the end, is what defines the longevity of the you know the the company its culture which comes from the owner and again i'll 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 be non i'll be very brutal in saying it i've seen so many business owners who are so uh so tight they're so uptight if you like in the way that they run their business they're so worried about what people think of them they are lacking a confidence and a flair and a charisma in themselves that they end up being a modified version of the leader of the company that they could have been, that had they have been, more people would have resonated with and therefore most of the challenges in the business would be significantly less. But instead, they're they're playing this horrible, static, logical kind of professional for being professional kind of boss instead of just being who they are. And I, and I go to your place and I see your dad at the time, I see you, I see everybody in it who is just being the best versions of themselves, which is a credit to you and your dad at the time's leadership skills where people feel safe and they feel comfortable to be who they want to be because ultimately you're comfortable being whoever it is that you want to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and our biggest challenge with a new patient is just getting to to that point, like the, you might call it the connection point. You know, we can get there in two or three visits you know, the likelihood of that person ever leaving us is really small. Yeah. And then, um, and then it makes, it makes marketing down the road so much easier. And, you know, nowadays it's funny because in the private healthcare world, you know, it's like, well, people have higher co-pays and higher out-of-pocket costs and people will ask me like, well, how are you guys doing with that? And I was like, well, we don't really have a problem with it. I mean, like it's a real common one for like a Medicare replacement plan to have like a 40 or $50 copay. Yeah. And I mean, once in a while, the person only wants to come in once a week or whatever. But even then after that, like the majority of them don't really have a problem because, you know, at least half of our clients have been here before. So they already know what to expect. You know, we have the no like and trust thing yeah. going on for us. And like, there's just, I don't know. I mean, if they're coming in for a reason and we're pretty good about communicating, you know, what their concern is and what their goal is and, you know, our plan of care obviously is the prescription that's going to get them to where they want to be. Um, and we lay it out that way. Like there's really not a ton of resistance, which is something I really appreciate with omnipresence type marketing is that by the time someone decides to come through your doors 
or to pick up the phone and arrange for a discovery visit or whatever, like their level of resistance is so much lower and their level of trust is so much higher. Um, and, and a lot of it goes back to, you know, the marketing message, obviously, but then the first person on the phone, like you said, the cheers effect, yeah. which I'm kind of impressed, you know, that show. Of course. But, we, um, do you know what, Luke? <laughs> we have TVs in Britain. Yeah, we, I didn't yeah, know you watched all yeah. these American oh, shows. Oh, we've so. got TVs in Britain. We have uh, heard of Beyonce. <laughs> uh, we even have a McDonald's. And, you know, we have evolved. I think the Kardashians <laughs> have just made it to Britain in the last few weeks. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I've, I have heard of Cheers. <laughs> it's probably just <laughs> it's probably just come on the TV in the last few months. But I, I, I've definitely heard of Cheers. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah. Good for you. So what people say to me, it's so funny that people's perceptions of, of like the rest of the world, I have actually been asked in an Uber, do you have McDonald's in Britain? Do, have you heard of Beyonce? And is the Kardashians big in, in the UK? Like, and I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, are we really having <laughs> like, yeah, believe it or not, we've got TVs as well. You know, it's like, <laughs> we, we have the internet we've got like phones we you know we we do have all of this stuff going on in the rest of the world yeah so i'm definitely aware of, of cheers but you guys have got it definitely um talk to me about leadership uh how you handle one-on-one -on -one conversations with staff like what you kind of what does it look like well so my biggest thing with management which you know i'm not the best manager necessarily because again um out of all the hats I could wear, I don't default to management. I don't like other people's problems becoming my problems, but that's the name of the game and it's um, it's a valuable position. But I think, I mean, the approach that I take is that I just want to build up the, um, I would call it like filling people's emotional tanks, which again, it, we're getting into soft skills, which some people roll their eyes about. But I feel like, you know, my, my biggest thing that I preach to staff um, is that the way that we treat our patients, which we treat them really well, yeah. like we should be treating each other that way, if not even better, you know, that's how we do it. And if we treat each other that way, it's just naturally going to flow to our patients. We don't have to think about being nice to our patients. Like we have the right people and we have the right, I guess, leadership and we have the right yeah. mindset that we just do it. So I take that same approach to management and I kind of feel like as a manager, like I work for the employees as a manager. Yeah. Now that's, that's weird when you wear multiple hats, like I'm the owner, so they definitely work for me. Um, and I make the decisions whether they stay or go, but at the same time, I'm also their manager. So it's like, I, I have to put them first. And, and so I try to just build on that personal relationship and that way, if a problem does come up, usually I can come from a point of, Hey, you know, we're in this together. How do we figure this out? Yeah. Now that's what the person who's a good fit for the business. And if for whatever reason, uh, you know, I hired someone, um, that's no longer a good fit or, you know, people change sometimes and they're no longer a good fit then I just have to be realistic and, you know, I'm a big believer of firing quickly if needed. Um, but I mean, that's just, that's just the style I guess I adhere to. If, if people know that you really do care about them and want yeah. them to do well, um, then it's not going to be a big deal when you have something to talk about. And at the same time on the business end, they're more productive because of it. If they, if they know that you really do want them to do well, not just because you want the business to do well. Yeah. The, the the challenge for a lot of people, probably a lot of people listening to this, trying to grow their business is the fear is, you know, there's a, there seems to be a phobia over marketing and there's a phobia over people. I don't like people and I don't like marketing, but yeah, I still want to grow a business. Well, it ain't happening, right? You ain't growing a business unless you figure out marketing and you ain't growing a business unless you figure out people. You've, you've got to bring people in and, and for many where they'll get stuck, they'll figure out the marketing, but they'll get stuck at the people level. And one of the things that you said there is that obviously you inherit other people's problems when you employ them and, and oh, I don't like other people's problems. And that's what a lot of business owners say. 
a lot of what we do as leaders is you do immediately inherit every, you know their problems the minute that people start to work for you but you've got to see it as one of two ways if if i figure out how to get comfortable accepting that my staff have challenges and problems and they will and may be will bring those things to my office right do i want that problem or do i want the problem that i've got in my life which says that my business is not going to grow to the level that it could be and therefore i'm not going to be as fulfilled as i could be and i'm not going to have the impact i could have had and i'm not going to live the extraordinary life that i would like to live therefore if i want to live that extraordinary life and have that business the uh, thing that i have to accept is that yeah the more people that i employ the more that they will bring those problems to me but i can get better at dealing with them and i can change the way that i feel about them that if an employee is having a bad weekend or a bad relationship or bad whatever then my job actually could be to try and help them to figure that out not take it personally not take offense to the fact that they might come in with you know problems and and whinging or whatever which a lot of people do is actually see it from the other way which is what can i do to help you because the sooner i help you figure this out the sooner you get back to being the employee that i hired and ultimately the person that will help me to grow my business so i believe as always it's the way that we um, see it and the way that we evolve as a person to then growing a business with people in it and ultimately as a person that wants to help people evolve and even just little conversations how's your you know caitlin came in this morning how's your weekend good how's you how's your mom how's your grandma grandma's been ill recently tell me more what else is going on and all of a sudden you know you start to find out a little bit about what's happening in your employee's life that doesn't take that big of a deal to do it you're just trying to be a reasonable person that that you know we're all work in progress and we're all trying to learn and develop and i think the more that you show that type of side um the better ultimately that that you know you have as a relationship with your staff and the more likely they are to stay and be successful for you yeah and i think my biggest barrier um historically was just not feeling like i had the time to do that yeah like oh here we go again so and so has a problem but you know i got six things to do today you know and these are high priorities and, and that gets difficult i yeah. think as a business owner when you are treating patients and you you know you're trying to market and you're trying to do all these other things you say oh gosh this person always seems to have a problem well maybe they do you know but again if you had taken 30 seconds every day most of it would have been would have been mitigated you Is, said, hey how's yeah. it going oh good okay have a nice weekend yeah. great you know and then once in a while they come and they didn't have a great weekend okay well follow up with them later at lunch or follow up with them then or give them a hug or buy them a coffee or whatever you got to do. But when I was coming into the clinic at eight 30 in the morning after dropping my kids off at school with a patient at eight 40, 10 minutes later, the last thing I wanted to hear about was someone's problem. Yeah. You know, if you had a good, if you had a good weekend, I'd love you to tell me in 10 <laughs> seconds, you know, <laughs> that'd be great. Um, and if not, you know, um, you know, your problems are yours and mine are mine. I mean, Lord knows I have enough of my own, right? <laughs> it's nearly always the case. I found though, that the employees problems, if they keep having the same problem, it's certainly work related it's nearly always because we didn't have the time to help them and that that's something that i found to be so true in each of the businesses that i've ascended where i brought more people in that as i find more time for myself and i find more time to be able to work with staff and speak to them and help them and coach them the less we seem to get problems and the reverse is true that the more that i get engrossed in the doing so when i get lost so jake's listening he's, he's in this room producer jake when I get lost in masterminds and I get lost in events and I get lost in travel back and forth to the UK, more things seem to crop up that Jake needs my help with. Whereas when I've got more time for him, the less things seem to crop up. And that's the, the, the true of all of the staff. So what I'm trying to say is the business owner is the bottleneck. And I actually believe that the business owner has to start seeing themselves 
as the person that is around to help and to coach and guide and to help their employees navigate problems and so on. And that is their job. It's getting the best out of the team. I'm I'm guilty of it as hell in this business because it's so reliant upon me for teaching and so on and we're growing it so fast. I'm, I'm in the middle of everything right now in this business. And the faster I can get to less being in it and more thinking on it and recruiting for it and helping that recruit to do their job, actually the faster it will grow and it, and it really is exponential when you start to understand your business like that that the more that you do things the less there is to coach and optimize the people that you've employed who should be doing those things for you and that in the end is the reason that they keep coming to you more and more for for something that if you had the time you'd stop and you'd go okay let me show you how to do this properly or let me jump in and help you to avoid this problem so that you don't keep coming to me does that make sense Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's almost like the old cliche, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yes, it's I mean, so that's, true. That's what it comes down to because yep. you can identify these problems really quickly just with a couple casual things. And um, yeah, again, I think when you're a business owner and you feel like you have so many things to do, you just you don't have as much you don't have as much in your tank for other people as well, I think is the problem. We don't know how to um, prioritize. That's the root yeah. of it. That's it. There's that thing again. We don't know how to prioritize. Nobody teaches us how to prioritize. We run with gratification. We run with everything that we spoke about on this call. We run to the marketing book. We run to the things that we're comfortable with. And instead of having a conversation with somebody that says, here's my, here's my problems in the businesses, which is the priority, which is the domino effect, which is the one that if I knock over makes everything else irrelevant. We can't do that mm -hmm. or we don't do that. Invariably, we run to action. And action is nearly always towards the thing that I'm comfortable taking action on. Hence why the term, I feel like I'm spinning my wheels. You can hear it. Oh, I'm running a hamster wheel. Of course you are, because you're doing the same fucking thing every day. You're doing the thing that you're supposed to love, but that thing that you're supposed to like isn't necessarily getting you out of the shit that you're in. You need to go do something that you're uncomfortable with and make a big change in the day-to-day -day doing of you, the business owner, and the actions to ultimately give you a new strategy or a different way of thinking about the business, a new you know, look, perspective, whatever you want to call it on the business, which is ultimately what you get. You know, you're on a flight tomorrow to come across. What do you really get from coming to CEO? It's a completely different perspective on your business, on your challenges. You often see it through the lens of another business. So in a way you think, shit, I'm actually doing that. And, and I didn't even know that. That That's a light bulb for most people in that room for the next two days. I didn't even know I was doing that. I didn't even know that was a problem. And you've just spelled it out to me. Now I can take it back to me. And, and hopefully, you know, take it back to my office and hopefully make that change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Biggest lesson since you've joined, uh, we'll wrap it up. Biggest lesson since you've joined uh, CEO program. What would you say? You've been with us now for what nearly 10 months in CEO. Biggest lesson since you've joined. You know, I think the biggest lesson is um, when you come down and you, we do our prep documents, which are like a 10, 12 page thing and it takes several hours to do and you know, you, you get it all down and you say, this is the, this is my problem. These are the two or three things that I want help with. And then realizing that, you know, for most of us, actually almost everyone in the room, the real problem wasn't what we thought it was. Like, it was almost like the problem that we had was more of a symptom of an underlying problem or, or there was a different solution that was coming from a different direction. So yeah. that was very eye opening for me. And that very first meeting we spent almost exclusively on the org chart. Yeah. Like saying, okay, well, where is everybody in this business? Like who's doing this and who's doing that? And and there was a lot of confusion there, but you could immediately see the value behind that saying, well, actually, so this is the problem I have, but actually it's coming from this uh, this weakness yeah. in the org chart. Yeah. You know, and just, and like you said, um, that word clarity, I think is huge. Like 
can you step back and just figure out what you're actually trying to do? You know, because um, if you don't have that clarity, then I mean, you just it's a, you know it's akin to putting out fires all day long. You're just saying, oh well, here's a little problem that I can identify, and I'm going to fix that one. You know, it's like okay, but you have like one or two big problems, and again, you call them the levers. So where are they? You know, and and now I mean, I, I'm interested to see this week what happens with our meeting because I think by now um, the collective we should be getting better at this. Yeah. And so I'm looking forward to seeing people's prep documents and saying, okay, this is a real problem this time. Um, and hopefully mine will be that way. People say, okay, you know, no more um, surface level problems. This is an actual problem that's going to have a huge effect on your business. Now let's figure out what you want to do about it. Correct. And what starts to happen, and you'll have noticed this, that as the preparation gets better and the reflection gets deeper, so too the results of the actual business. So I can see if I just looked at your numbers over the last three or four quarters, if you like, since you joined the program, invariably, as the numbers get better, that's the effect. What I look for, and what I would know to be true, is that the standard of the preparation would also be better. Said differently, if the prep's shit, if the prep's shitty, so too are the numbers. If the numbers are good, it's because the prep is good. But the prep is good because the business owner is now starting to think critically, diagnostically, reflective about the business. So they're becoming more aware of the real challenges and problems in the business because of obviously the questions I ask you in the prep doc. It exposes you to start to think about, well, is this the real challenge or is that the real challenge? Well, is that really a surface level symptom or is that the real root cause of the problem? And the more that you begin to understand that and then yourself, the more that you make better decisions about the business and ultimately what is a successful business, it's just ultimately a collection of good decisions made by the business owner. Therefore, it has to be that as time evolves and you get better at strategically looking at your business and reflection and all of these things are grossly underestimated by business owners who are just doing, doing, doing all the time, the better that you get. But most importantly, in terms of your results, what you ultimately get is you get that clarity and therefore you start to feel in control of that business um, as the weeks and months go on. Definitely. Biggest help to you since joining, would you say? Biggest insight, biggest help, biggest thing that you've that you've got from it? What would you say if I pushed you on it? You know... Um... You know, just from last meeting, I mean, I think the biggest thing for me was that once you feel more comfortable with your own problems, you can actually start anticipating problems, which I think is a big leap for a lot of us. Um, you know, because I think at first you come down to CEO with the mindset, well, I have a problem and I, and I want, you know, like I need help. That's great. But then like this time I'm coming down to CEO. I mean, I've had more time to do the prep document. I've had more time to reflect on it and say, what are my problems? And for the most part, the problems I have, I, I feel like I know what to do with them. But it's still good for me to get your guys' input and to make sure I'm not missing anything. But at that point, I feel like I can be a more active learner with other people's problems. Yeah. And it's been such an, like, an eye-opener last meeting, especially. I said, you know what? I'm in this room, and I was sitting next to Simon, and Simon just loves this stuff. Yeah. I mean, he loves it. And I'm like, okay, I mean, I could do this. Like, I can do it, but it's it's tiring. Like, sitting in that room for me is like my brain wants to kind of, you know, just take a break afterwards. But, um, but I kind of, you know, switched the – I kind of flipped the switch and said, well, gosh, there's so much to learn because, you know, Huang has this problem and, uh, you know, Tamara's got this problem and Ryan's doing this. And it's like, that could be my next problem. Yeah. I have the chance now to either, you know, kind of see that coming and avoid it 
um, or just, you know, learn little tips along the way. So I think that's been a big shift. And I think uh, progressively the meetings have gotten better for me in terms of what I get out of them and how I feel about going and stuff like that. Good. Love it. Um, thank you for your time, Luke. I'm going to let you go. Um, I just want to say thank you for uh, everything you've done. And in the group, you've been amazing, willing to share. Um, and I know when you show up, you really do show up and share a lot of your uh your insights and your wisdom and knowledge and people do genuinely love to hear from you so thank you for that thanks for um giving me a chance you were one of my very early clients uh four years ago you were certainly uh somebody who gave me a lot of trust when i first got going so i appreciate you for that and um i still say thank you for having me in your home uh that evening it was lovely to meet your wife and kids and uh get to see a beautiful part of the world that i still tell natalie about that we need to make our way uh, to Spokane and take the kids over there on a uh, on a lake style holiday at some point in the next year or two. So I may be back uh, over to that part of the world. So thank you for everything you do. You're a true inspiration. Couldn't be happier for you and your family. I know uh, we are definitely kindred spirits, not just in the marketing, uh, but everything that you do for your business or in that business is ultimately uh, to provide a better lifestyle for you and, and your family. And I just love your absolute simplistic view of what you want and what you want out of this business which is ultimately to spend uh more time with the kids and um is it still do you want to is it the farm field you still want to you want to get into all of that further down the line yeah i'm still very into just i want to do something with that i can do with the kids and yeah. kind of uh, and, and food usually falls into that because i'm one of those you know uh local organic type foods and I just love the idea of being able to not just go to work and have to yeah. say bye to my kids. Like, let's go to work. And if you want to help me with this today, you can. And yeah. I think it's important for our kids to see us work too. Like, Correct. this is what you do. I think that's one of the biggest problems with, this is the end of the show, so we won't go off on that. But, you know, I think it's important to see your kids and to see them often. Love it. Well done. So thank you. I do it. Yeah, thank you for everything. I uh, appreciate you very much. And I uh, love getting to know your dad that day as well and your uh, extended family in the in the office so luke gordon thank you very much where can people find a bit more about you what's your website and, and social stuff that they can watch you on um so business name is gordon physical therapy just g-o-r-d-o-n physical therapy so that's um that's our url for our website too just gordonphysicaltherapy.com and then if you have questions um especially on the marketing and i'm always happy for those it's uh, my email is luke just l-u-k-e at gordonphysicaltherapy.com Luke, thank you very much. Appreciate you. Great. Thanks, Paul. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Paul Goff Audio Experience. If you like what you hear and you'd like to find out how to convert more cash pay patients at much higher prices, come and join Paul at his two-day annual sales conversions bootcamp happening this December 7-8 in the magical Orlando. You'll learn how to double your treatment room and front desk conversions in just 48 hours. Head on over to paulgoff.com forward slash sales to secure your seat now. And if you book before November 22nd, you can save $1,000 off your ticket. That's paulgoff.com forward slash sales. Until next time, have a wonderful day.